0: Well, as many of you know, uh, from uh, middle school on, I uh, lived in Los Angeles. It was the uh, early 1970s uh, when that happened, and uh, L.A. was a pretty crazy town at that time. I suppose it still is. But one thing that really intrigued me about the neighborhood we were living in in Los Angeles in that time with the early 70s were the air raid sirens. I know it kind of sounds strange. Yes, air raid sirens. They, they, I suppose they were holdo- holdovers from, from earlier wars that had happened Uh, in the Pacific, but once a week on Fridays at noon, those air raid sirens would blast for about 30 seconds, and you could hear the sound even deeply within the walls of a a house or, or a building, and I never did figure out why in the early 1970s they blasted those things, but boy, it got your attention when they went off. Well, just like the air raid sirens back in those days, I suppose if, if I think about it, I've, I've come to think that maybe we sometimes have a siren of our own in our own heads. Only the siren in our own heads is more like a loud whisper that only we can hear. And every time it goes off, it's hard to ignore it because it lets us some- know that something is up. But unlike the audible siren in that town that I grew up in, the siren in our heads has a very specific voice. And the siren in our, ve- or in our heads sounds something like this, there's something missing in my life, there's something missing in my life, there's something missing in my life, things could be better, there's something missing in my life. I don't know about you, but I've had that siren go off in my head before. I don't know if any of you have. There's something missing in my life. Things could be better. Well, if you have ever had that voice go off in your head, I believe it means that you are not only part of the human race, but it serves as a reminder that something is up and probably going on within. Now, when the air raid siren in L.A. went off so many years ago, I suppose it could have signaled a variety of different kinds of things. And in some ways, the siren in our head that tells us that something is missing can be a lot like that. See, when we hear that voice, it says, feels like something's missing. feels like something's missing. It, too, can mean a bunch of things. It can mean that God is trying to get our attention about something. It could mean that we're not using our lives or our gifts to their potential and that our lives are out of balance in some kind of way. It could mean that there's a voice within us saying we need to get healthy, It could mean that we need to work on communicating with other people more effectively and constructively. It could mean we need to spend more time with our children, our parents. It could mean we have unresolved stuff going on inside. It could mean we're needing to get some therapy to get some help around some struggle. But when that siren goes off in our head that tells us that something is missing, we need to be very, very careful and cautious before we act on that feeling. Because acting on such a feeling without checking it out carefully can get us into a heap of trouble. You see, sometimes I believe when we feel that something is missing in our lives, there's really nothing missing at all. Sometimes, as human beings, I believe we catch a very nasty bug. A bug that will lead us astray if we're not careful and attentive. And this bug that we sometimes catch has a name, and its name is perfectionism. Now, quick caveat before I go on. Having goals, seeking higher standards, going after success, striving for financial security, desiring to be more healthy, getting that much-needed therapy, wanting more of something in some area of life, that is missing and really missing are all obviously not necessarily bad things and may not have to do at all with perfectionism. Such things may simply reflect that we are motivated and reflect our knowledge on our need to work on something to bring about some positive change in our life. And I hope we're each motivated to bring about some positive change in our daily lives. But motivation and positive change is not what I'm talking about this morning. With this caveat in mind, I believe it's important to say, however, that sometimes when we think that something is missing in life, it's because we are consumed by what we can only call perfectionistic thinking. We think we're not making enough money. We feel like our current partner is not the right one. We live in a bad climate and are certain that if life was just 15 degrees warmer, it would be naturally better. We begin to blame others for our lot in life, and then we act. We switch jobs to make more money, change partners to obtain greater bliss, move to a warmer place, expecting that that five-degree difference in greener lawn will make all the difference in the world. But the thing is, and some of us know this firsthand, when we're in that new job, when we're infatuated with that new partner, or we are basking in the sun, sitting on the beach, that old, nagging feeling happens again. There's something still missing. And that perfectionistic cycle goes on and on and on. And as a result, we take classes, read books, listen to gurus, chat with friends, and look for ways to fix what seems out of whack. And doesn't it seem like so much of the messaging that we receive and our culture is so much about having the perfect life where everything is all right. Just for fun, I went to Amazon.com this week. Here are some titles I found. The Perfect Cake, The Perfect Scoop, The Perfect Puppy, Practice Makes Perfect, Perfect Phrases for Performance Reviews, The Perfect Diet, The Perfect Cruise, The Perfect Body for Men, The Way to Physical Perfection and Perfection, Cooking to Perfection, and it went on and on and on. I was astounded. I, I really began to feel deficient. But all this kind of points to a sad truth in my mind, in that often, as I said, our feeling that something missing comes from our inclination to seek perfection or the pressure around us to seek perfection. And it also reflects the fact that sometimes we resist to accept that we are not perfect, never have been and never will be, thank God. Sometimes when the siren goes off in our head that something is missing, what it really is is a call to ourselves and others, to give ourselves and others a break And lighten up and simply accept who we are, flaws and all. I love what Brennan Manning has to say, who wrote the book The Ragamuffin Gospel. He says, the trouble with our idealistic ideals is if we live up to them all, we will become impossible to live with. (laughs) And then somebody else writes, we are not perfect, but neither is there anyone out there more perfect than we are. What a pleasure that realization is. We are not more or no less than wonderfully ordinary and perfect mortals. So why not give others and ourselves a break? Why not celebrate our blemishes, our imperfections, as the very qualities that make us human? We all have a fault line, and usually with one with many branches. And instead of apologizing, we can choose to enjoy ourselves just as we are, no upgrades necessary. But there's another problem with perfectionism, isn't there? You see, when we have our standards so high for ourselves or for others, we not only diminish others and ourselves, but we can end up closing the door in the face of God. When our standards are too high or we seek for perfection, we stop looking for God, because who needs God when we believe that ultimately power, the ultimate power and self-actualization is to be found through only oneself. When we seek our own perfection, we become blinded to what God can do in our lives and, and cease entertaining that God can do something amazing and entertaining, in fact, and new in our lives. And boy, can that happen in the church. You've seen it, I've seen it. I, if I don't go to a certain church, God will be mad. If I don't worship in a certain way, God will be mad. If I don't do this, God will be mad. If I don't worship in this kind of way, God will be mad. And boy, that clergy person better always be responsive, sensitive, warm, smiling and not only just some of the time, but 100% of the time. Yes, churches and other people in them can become perfectionists when it comes to all kinds of things. So we end up paying more attention to standards and being right instead of to our God. And we end up forgetting that so much in life is all a gift and we can lose sight of the power grace. Back to Brennan Manning, I love what he writes. Here's what he says. When I am honest, I admit that I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I get that line. He goes on, I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad. I feel good. I feel guilty. Then I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I'm trusting and suspicious. I'm honest and I still play games. Aristotle said that we are a rational animal, but I, Brennan Manning writes, I am an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. (laughs) To live by grace means to acknowledge my whole story, the light side and the dark side, and admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. It means we're not somebody who is good, but someone who experiences the goodness of God. And while there is much we have earned, our degree, our salary, our home, a garden, a Miller light, and a good night's sleep, all this is possible only because we have been given so much. Life itself, eyes to see, hands to touch, mind to shape ideas, a heart to beat with love, and all of it is a sheer gift. It's grace, which is the antidote to perfectionism. Nobody understood this more clearly than St. Paul. As we know, he was born into a Jewish family. He was trained in rabbinical school. He understood scripture inside and out. He was a Pharisee, the sect that focused very much on the laws of God. His mission in life early on was to punish fellow Jews who were not good enough and who were followers of this nutbag Jesus. And we know that when he was present when Stephen was stoned to death because of Jesus' proclamation of Jesus. We know that Paul was was, uh, responsible for the arrest and the suffering of men, women, and children. And he, like others, were immersed in a strict and narrow interpretation of biblical law. Every action, every behavior was to come under the microscope. External acts of devotion superseded the true meaning of worship. How God was worshipped was very narrowly defined. Whether one went to heaven or hell depended upon what one said and what one did. Form became more important than substance. All things were done to meet the law and love and the inclusion of people was put out the window. That was Paul, the perfect, striving perfectionist. But then one day he met the risen Jesus and his life turned around. And he understood that life is not about going for more and more in perfection, but about this. Our reading today is in the book of Acts. It's just a few chapters after after Paul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Paul's life had been radically changed. He was preaching that Jesus came as God in the flesh, that Jesus was crucified, that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And news quickly spread all over the Mediterranean during the three long missionary trips he took. And during his first missionary journey, we encounter the reading today in the book of Acts. Paul and a man named Barnabas sent out from what is modern day Syria to Cyprus. From Cyprus, they went to Turkey. And then they marched and walked all over Turkey. And it was Paul's practice during such trips to visit the local synagogue and to preach to his fellow Jews about the Messiah. If they rejected his message, he left the synagogue and went out and preached to the Gentiles. And that's exactly what happened in today's reading. In today's reading, Paul is accompanied by a fellow named Barnabas. He's preaching, and when the meeting broke up, they were invited to return to the next Sabbath. And when the next Sabbath came around, practically the whole city showed up to hear Paul preaching about Jesus. But some of the religious people, some of the religious leaders, some of the people who used to be like who Paul used to be like. Seeing the crowds went wild with jealousy and tore into Paul, contradicting everything he had to say. And Paul didn't back down. Instead, they said, it was required that God's word be spoken first of all to you, but being, seeing that you want no part of it, the door of the gospel is now open to all outsiders. Well, this story on one level is all about Paul spreading the gospel to all people, whether or not they were Jewish. On another level, the story is about Paul encountering Jewish believers who held to his previous way of thinking. The way of thinking that says religious life is all about getting it right and being pious in a certain way and about seeking perfection. But Paul knew firsthand after encountering the risen Jesus that life is not about perfection, but about God's. He was clear that faith has less to do with getting it right and everything to do with God's grace. He also understood that when people strive for perfection, it inhibits them from accepting their own weaknesses and their need for a savior. And what upset people perhaps the most was when Paul told people if they would stop taking themselves so darn seriously, they might start taking God much more seriously. I want to wrap up with a kind of a metaphor for all of what I'm talking about today. As you know, before I moved to L.A., grew up in, in the Southwest, and, in the El Paso region, and was, I was exposed to a lot of Native American literature and art and rugs. And the Navajo Indians are, are fascinating people. And one of the things that I really love about the Navajos, more than anything else, is that they tended not to complete things, whether it was a basket, a blanket, a song, or a story. Now, the reason they didn't complete things is not because they were not, la- is not because they were lazy, but it was because they never wanted anything that they created to be too perfect. If something was too perfect, they believe that it, it cramped the spirit of the creator and sapped the energy of life away. And when Navajo's created anything, they would often leave little gaps or imperfections in their work. To them, perfection or striving for it was suffocation. It's amazing what Navajos did when they made blankets. When creating them, they frequently left a slight imperfection in the weaving. And often this took the form of a single thread that originated from the center of the blanket and extended all the way to the edge of the blanket. And the Navajos call this imperfection in their blankets a spirit thread or spirit outlet. They believe that such a thread, such a spirit outlet, gave the Creator room to breathe and to create, and it served as a reminder to them that only God, the Creator, is perfect. What a great metaphor that maybe that's how God designed you and me, beautiful, yet imperfect the way it's supposed to be. And maybe God made us this way so that we would have room for God room for God to act in our lives, room to create, room to transform, room to guide and to be led by God and to be healed by God, room yeah. for God's surprises in our lives. And maybe God created us as beautiful yet imperfect so that we would get over ourselves and come to the place that we realize that indeed we need a Savior. And maybe He created us beautiful yet imperfect so that we would learn to give other people and ourselves a break, to give ourselves a break, to lighten up once in a while with ourselves and with other people. And so as I close today, I'd like for each of us to do something. And what I'd like to do is that, invite you to think about that any time that siren goes off in your head, that maddening noise that say, something's missing, something's missing, something's missing. Pause for a moment. And think about the fact that you and I are both very much like a Navajo blanket. We are created to be beautiful, yet imperfect, by the God who made us. And like those blankets, we have a spirit thread, the Holy Spirit, coming from the very center of who we are. A Holy Spirit that reminds us of not only who we are, but who it is that put us together. And I pray that that thread, our imperfections, help us remember that Jesus is not finished with us yet, nor anyone else who annoys the hell out of us. And I close with Brendan Manning again. Jesus comes not for the super spiritual, but for the wobbly and the weak need. The weak need who know they don't have it all together and who are not too proud to accept The handout of amazing grace. Let us pray.